The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the United States Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp. That's cbp.gov careers usbp. The is it morning yet deal. How about now? Or now? Because morning time is McDonald's breakfast time. And that's the best time of all the times. Get any sized iced coffee for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. And sweeten the deal when you pair it with a baked apple or pumpkin and creme pie. After all, why wait to treat yourself? Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause, where we talk about this time of life, mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen. Each week, I'm joined by top professionals dropping their tips and advice. Remember, episodes drop every Tuesday. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a beat. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review it. Thank you, because this helps others to find the show. You can check out our website, find out which episodes are coming up, and get the latest blog and advice by going to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com and get ready to thrive, not just survive, through perimenopause and beyond. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, and today we're going to be talking about traditional Chinese medicine, which I can say that I experienced myself during perimenopause and it was life-changing. So I was delighted when today's guest was able to join me. She is Andrea Dewhurst. She's an acupuncturist based in the UK and she has a real human interest in female health and the disparities that we face in healthcare. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. This is really lovely. So yeah, I'm excited today. I am too. I mean, a good place might be to start is to actually let my listeners know what is traditional Chinese medicine or or TCM? Yeah, that's. I mean, it is a great start to to start there because you know, actually, I think when you sort of work in that in that field, you forget that actually people sometimes haven't even heard of of acupuncture or or Chinese herbs. So traditional Chinese medicine has been, I mean, first recorded almost four thousand years ago as being used. So it's it's pretty old, as old as I feel some Monday mornings. And um, you know, it's actually. A lot of people, when we talk about Chinese medicine, people assume that it's it's the needles, it's the acupuncture, but it encompasses a number of different spheres, one of them being obviously needles. One of them would be like cupping therapy that you, you may have seen, you know, elite athletes, you seem sometimes see those circles. Gua Sha, which has actually now become quite popular, but for the face, but actually is traditionally used for clearing illness. And there's the Yang Sheng, which is the Chinese food nutrition and also tweena and qigong. So it actually encompasses a number of different modalities. And like I said, super duper old. And yeah, so that is sort of the sphere of Chinese medicine. And I will talk today 
primarily about most of those, but there is also Chinese herbs that people practice as well. So I don't practice that, but that is another part of traditional Chinese medicine. So really huge scope there, Andrea. I mean, it's so much bigger than what we understand. And all of those modalities can work together, can't they? Yeah. So, I mean, I frequently use them, you know, I'll frequently use gua sha with needles, with, you know, the yang sheng, the the food energetic advice on one patient. And then, you know, on another patient, it will be the needles and cupping. So, yeah, they all are designed to work together. And I think, you know, that is how Chinese medicine really approaches the human body is that they view it as one whole. So those are all each individual modalities, but they're designed to work really well together and treat the whole body. Yeah. And that is the key difference, isn't it? That it's the whole body. We don't just go, oh, you've got this symptom or that. It actually works with all of you. Yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I actually had to give a presentation. I didn't have to, but I, I agreed to give a presentation to a, a group of eight-year-olds. And, you know, they were asking about acupuncture. And I was like, the way that I like to think of it is that when we are conceived, we start as one cell. You know, that is a, in itself is an amazing achievement of the human development. But, you know, over time, one cell becomes two cells, two cells become four cells. So when you take it right back, we were all that one cell to start with. So everything is connected, you know, at the top of our head is it comes from the same layer as the our feet, you know. So I think that it's it's easy to think that, you know, one symptom not, doesn't necessarily correlate to another, but we are one whole person. And that's the actually the, the thing that I, I really love the most about the medicine is that, you know, your sleep, your energy, your skin, your poo and we, we talk about as well, all of those things, your pain, all of those things are, are considered as one whole, as one whole as you are. Yeah, and I, I love that too. I mean, obviously, that's part of the reason why I've been such a big fan myself of Chinese medicine and, and working over many, many years with an acupuncturist, not so much now here in Sweden, but when I lived in Australia, you know, I'd go really regularly and it started for me with a fall. I mean, I actually fell over and I have to admit this, I went out in a pair of very, very high heels, <laughs> very high heels, got caught. Those times where we used to go out? <laughs> <laughs> that when we used to go out and between two gaps in the pavement and I fell quite badly on my arm. That's how I came with a, and I was called a bursitis to be in Chinese medicine. But then obviously he started to look much more at my overall health my stress levels, my energy levels, my sort of energetic levels, and it became a very different journey. It healed my arm. I've never had any problems with that arm again, but that was kind of the start of it. I think, you know, people, that's how a lot of people come into getting acupuncture is through pain. It's the one that it's the most widely known you know, I'm an evidence-based acupuncturist. I'm a, I'm a big fan of spending a lot of time reading clinical studies about acupuncture. And yeah, it's pain is one of those things that predominantly people come in for. And then, yes, as that pain is treated, then we start looking at, you know, the other things that people are feeling. So yeah, it's definitely when I speak to people, they're like, oh, it just does pain, doesn't it? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it does do pain. But there's lots of other things that we can we can help with. Indeed. And I think when we think about women, I mean, we see a little bit here and there about 
Chinese medicine and, and perimenopause and menopause. But from your experience, Andrea, what do you see as being some of the real benefits for women who may be struggling with symptoms of TCM? So, I mean, I have to caveat, you know, Chinese medicine is a medicine and it is fallible. You know, it isn't a miracle. But I think what we've found is is that actually women tend to, it's actually, it's, there's some really cl- good research out there about the type of people that come and use acupuncture. And actually, predominantly it is women in their late 40s and early 50s that are are our sort of biggest buy-in I suppose of acupuncture and I think when people come in you know they might come in because you know they're having hot flashes but it isn't just about the hot flashes it's about the emotional side that comes with those changes and we can support you know people have depression or anger or you know all of it so it's not just always just your physical ailments or signs and symptoms we're treating but it's also the emotional side as well because it is a big change and in chinese medicine i mean it is 4000 years old so we have to sort of give it some leeway but they actually term this time of life as the second spring they term it as a as a chance to rejuvenate but in the West, we don't have that so much. We're very much 40s and 50s. We're sandwiched between having children and maybe elderly parents, working. You know, there isn't always as much time as people would like to be able to rejuvenate, to enjoy their second spring because they are sandwiched between those two generations. So I think with Chinese medicine, we're not just taking that one sign and symptom. We're supporting you throughout that whole journey. And uh, yeah, so I, I, one of the things that I'd like to people to understand and encourage is that there are also changes that we can start doing in our 30s and early 40s to also make this change a more pleasant journey. So it's all of those things. It's, it's about knowing ourselves, about understanding what, how our bodies are. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, isn't it? That getting to understand yourself is key in this journey, isn't it? I think so. I mean, I started studying Chinese medicine at the age of 37. And, you know, by and large, I had absolutely no idea what was happening with my periods month in, month out. It was something that happened. I knew there were problems. But I also, when I say I knew there were problems, I also knew that they were part and parcel of being a female who had a period each month. So pain, PMS, heavy periods, and you just sort of accept it for what it is. And it wasn't until I started studying that actually all of those things in Chinese medicine are actually considered problematic. They're not normal. They're not right or not how the human body should behave. And one of the things that I now really try and encourage all of my patients, whether they're coming in for menopause or pain, is to really understand your body. And I give people trackers and, you know, just paper-based, you know, it's like, you know, even things like when we're stressed, does that make it worse? Does the weather make this worse? Does the something you've eaten. And it really empowers people to actually really understand, you know, themselves because we are busy and we think we'll remember as well. We think what we'll remember what happened a week ago, but our mind is like a trickster. It's sort of, it's, it's designed to forget if it was in pain, it is de- designed to sort of, or sort of think, oh, that was okay. I survived. So yeah, it's really one of the most important things that I do is, is give people the chance to actually understand what's happening with their own bodies. Yeah. And I think 
that these there are some new trackers emerging. It was funny because a previous guest also taught, I mean, she's developed a tracker, but she was very big on the triggers, like you're saying. Is it stress? Is it alcohol? Are there certain foods? I remember my acupuncturist was huge about not eating damp foods. In the- <laughs> <laughs> we are all. <laughs> yeah, and he saying not, eat, not to eat pumpkin here all the time. He said to me, it's a damp food and it isn't good for you right now. And he used to play on a point in my ankle and it used to be, oh, so painful. <laughs> I mean, you know, it is, it's, um, everybody is so individual and, you know, what might make me feel sad or, or in pain is, is vastly different to how somebody else will perceive that. And yeah, you know, understanding what your particular triggers are, it really creates a very individualized treatment. And that is really the difference, isn't it, in many ways between the way the Chinese treat you. You're an individual, you're a whole system, as opposed to here's this symptom, I'm going to fix that and a couple of others, which is the more allopathic approach. Even though trackers are coming into their own, they may not be being used in the same way as they would in a more traditional setting. Yeah, I mean, I I'm just a big believer. I mean, I have lists coming up. I have I'm a very paper-based person and you know, it doesn't have to be anything sophisticated. Yes, there are amazing trackers, but there's also just writing down in your diary or your calendar like hot flush, you know, really bad today. What had happened that day that, you know, so it's it doesn't have to be anything sophisticated and you know, biomedicine or allopathic medicine is amazing. Like, you know, I I work very much alongside more, you know, Western, I suppose, medicines and it is amazing. But I think what is so amazing about Chinese medicine is it's that we're constantly trying to reach a homeostasis in your body, which doesn't rely on you coming back to me, right? That's the ideal is that you would never come to me or you would come to me for maintenance once a month at the most, you know, to like just keep on top of things. But ultimately, I'd really rather you, that's the sign of me doing a good job is if you never came back, you know, and I think with biomedicine, you kind of take your tablet or whatever it is, and it will work for a certain time. And then other signs and symptoms will creep in. And then you have to take another drug for that signs and symptoms. And you know, like I said, I think it's amazing, but I also think there are also other alternatives for some things. Like I said, it's not a miracle. No, no. And I think we all know that if we have a serious illness, then today's biomedicine is incredibly brilliant, I would say, at treating those things. As a very sadly know, a friend of mine who was a cancer patient, she was an acupuncturist and she decided to reject biomedicine, but it didn't. When she got to China itself, the guy said, What are you doing here? I can't do anything for you. You need to be in a mainstream hospital because that's where they have the ability to treat cancers and things, and, and that we can only do so much. And I think that was, you know, maybe a bit of a wake up for her, but because she was Chinese herself and very committed. But I think that's the thing is knowing how far I can go. And obviously, that's what a practitioner like you does as well. Yeah, I mean, actually, you know, talking about cancer, you know, there's just been this year, in fact, a really great study about, you know, acupuncture helping with the pain that comes with cancer treatment, right? So do I think you should go and get cancer treatment? Yes, I do. Do I also think that maybe if you have nausea or pain, 
acupuncture might help you as well. So it's about combining or, or understanding that you can marry the two things together. They're not, they don't have to be completely separate. No, that's also a really good point. I mean, some people are a bit sort of, ooh, needles. Uh, <laughs> talk a little bit about that. I mean, I know that it doesn't hurt, but a lot of people get put off and we have that sex of the city image of Charlotte lying on the, on the couch. I mean, you know, I completely understand it. Like I said, I went and talked to these eight-year-olds and, and about acupuncture and, and all they have as their basis is they may have had some sort of injection or flu jab or, or whatever it is. They've got a a very different understanding of what a needle is. And I mean, you even said it earlier on, you said, oh, there used to be a point on my ankle. And it was, you know, the, the needles are vastly different to what you would get with an injection. Like they're sort of hair breadth in sort of width. And, but I would be lying if I said that, that sometimes they might be a bit painful, but the pain subsides after, you know, one second, two seconds. But on the whole, the, the sensations are, tend to be like a dull or heaviness or, you know, some people say that they feel warmth around the area. It's not so much about, it's not that pain that you get, you know, when someone sticks an injection in your arm and you just sort of, but it's more of a sensation, I suppose. And yeah, I tend to use, I mean, depending on the person, you know, anywhere, I don't tend to use that many needles, maybe at the most like 16 needles across the whole body predominantly around 10. And like I said, I use other modalities as well. And and I think one of the things that, you know, because I've thought, I've pondered for a long time about studying Chinese herbs, because, you know, it's another fantastic modality. But my teacher who also studied herbs, he was like, food is herbs. Food is exactly what you are encouraging people to change. You know, like your acupuncturist was like, pumpkin is not right for you. Okay. And, you know, with Chinese medicine, so the way that Chinese medicine looks at the menopause is that, and sorry about the gender descriptions, but that's how we work, is that females are yin, which is the dark side of the mountain. They're cooler, quieter, more, you know, whereas yang, which is the considered to be the male side of the mountain, is light. I mean, let's forget all the feminism for a minute because that makes me feel a bit cross when I talk about it. But it's active. It's the, the you know loud. And the way that Chinese medicine sees yin and yang is that that changes day to day. Night turns into day. Water turns into steam. And in the same way that as women can start their journey through life, they start to become they start to lose some of that yin-ness. So it's not like they become more yang. It's just that they start to develop signs that are nat not naturally yin. So you get hot. You might get the heat. You might get the redness. You know, all of those things are considered very yang energies. So as somebody enters perimenopause and through to menopause, you should start to change how you live accordingly because we need to rest more we need to eat more cooling foods you know it's it's not particularly rocket science and that's not to say that people don't know this thing it's just that we just out of tune with our bodies and sometimes we just need someone to remind us that it's like you know alcohol for example has different energetic values or properties so red wine is considered very hot white wine is considered slightly cooler um, spirits are very hot and the darker the spirit is the hotter it becomes um, beer is very cooling so 
it's not about not drinking alcohol or, you know, whatever it is. It's about knowing that at that moment in time, you do not need to be adding more fuel to the fire if hot flushes are your issue. You know, and sometimes we just need a gentle reminder that actually we need to listen to how our body is. And that's where the tracking sort of comes in. Yeah. So it's almost like, yes, Chinese medicine can help as it creates like a framework, doesn't it? But then we, within that, I mean, and also I suppose it depends if you're a very yin person, you may want to get your yang up. You know, if we suddenly all be, you know, very sort of in isolating and feeling that kind of lowness, we may need more yang energy. Whereas if we're a hot flush, as you said, a hot flush person, and like me, I had a lot of rosacea, the the thing I needed to do was to be a bit cooler at, at times. Yeah. And it's, it is, it's, it is just marrying those two things. Cause, and as well, you can have the two things together, right? You can have that low mood and, you know, isolation and also be having the hot flushes. It's about working out the balance, right? And that's all that Chinese medicine is always doing. The, the needles are creating a balance in your body where there is disharmony. Your food is creating a balance where there is disharmony. We live at 100 miles an hour but we need to create the balance of knowing when to rest and when to be 100 miles an hour. And that's what the needles do. And that's that's how Chinese medicine works, is constantly trying to create a balance. And yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I, and I think that you, you know, you feel that when you actually have a treatment. As, as someone who was a patient, shall we say, I mean, I could feel that when I lay there, I mean, it wasn't like the needles were stuck in and then pulled out. I mean, you know, I'd lie there for, maybe he'd leave me for 20 minutes or so, being perfectly still. I'd have nice, cool, soothing music or a meditation to listen to. So in a sense, it enforced the rest and relaxation that I might not have been giving myself voluntarily. Yes, and I actually say that that is part and parcel of the treatment is that actual, it isn't very often where we grant ourselves that time to just lie still, like, you know, and I always ask, you know, I always say to my patients, you know, look, we can talk if you have questions or if you, but I also invite you just to be still, just to, just don't worry about what I'm doing or, you know, I've put the needles in, I write my notes up, you know, you, you take this time for you because actually, well, we know rest is very important. It, it regulates the vagus nerve. And so, yeah, part of it is that you don't twiddle needles, do you? That's the bit I hate. I don't. I mean, well, I say I don't. So when I put the needle in, I am looking to create the sensation, either the heaviness or the, and sometimes people don't automatically feel that. And so sometimes I will go back just to remind the point that it has a job to do. But no, there's no like, deep thrusting of the needle in and out and twisting it's it's a very it's a very delicate treatment really it's there to, it's also that not not there to <laughs> frighten people and make them concerned sometimes you feel them going in is what i would say some points are more tender than others but it's not at the whole body sometimes you just and of course there's a technique isn't there andrea i mean you learn a specific technique when you train so that unless there's a, a particular point in the body that's quite sensitive it's unlike like i said the one on my ankle always used to be owl when he did that one and i don't like between the toes sometimes Ooh. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, where there is flesh, you know, whether that's on your leg or your thigh or your stomach, you're not going to feel it in the same way that you are if it's on a bony part of you. That's just natural physiology. You know, that's just the layers of the skin. Um, And that's why I always say to people, it's like, it does, when people say, does it hurt? And I'm like, can do. Like, that's why, I mean, I'm, I'm trying not to, I'm not lying. It is, it's, it's a difficult thing because some of parts are bony and that's physiology. That's just, that's how your body reacts. Yeah. And how can things like cupping and qigong, for example, play into the total treatment? Yeah. So, I mean, qigong is, I mean, I'm, I'm being a bar, bit barbaric using this, but it is like, if you've never seen qigong, it's, it's a really gentle, it isn't the Chinese equivalent of yoga at all, but it, it's about creating movement in the body. And, you know, actually you can practice qigong sitting down, you can do it standing up. It's a very, it's about creating a movement but it's like a flow, you know, you, you don't, as you move, you are doing it slowly and with thought and it's sort of not a, you know, jerky, you know, to get from A to B, it's like how you flow. And the Qigong is really so amazing. I've, I've just started a class as in going to learn properly because it is about uh, cultivating qi, you know, your life force, your energy. and it's and it has so many forms and stances and it's just but it's just such a it's something that everybody can do and it is that's it's it's cultivating your life force and but and in it's yeah it's a it's such a beautiful practice and i think with people who are stressed and or depressed or you know any or anything you know pain that's we want to create a smooth flow for them and there are some amazing practitioners and in fact you can just find it on youtube now there's quite a lot of you know free content um that's out there that is actually just perfect for wanting to do 20 minutes of movement that makes you feel grounded that makes you leaves you a little bit more energetic um yeah that's beautiful so i often recommend that well recommend it for quite a lot of people really because i think everybody could do with a bit of that and i think especially with you know with the menopause again it's just taking that time for yourself and cultivating that grounded and and all of that cupping therapy is i tend to use it more as a release so it's more of a not just for pain but it's it's more when things are stuck so we're creating a movement again by using the cups and that's why obviously you see a lot of these olympians with these little marks on their back because they've they've got painful areas and they're just trying to create that movement so i tend to use cupping less sort of with I mean, depends. Everybody is so individual, but on the whole, it wouldn't be, you know, for me with menopause, it's about, or perimenopause, it's about the needles, it's about the emotions, it's about the yangsheng, all those things, my sort of go-to, I think, in that sort of treatment. Yeah, I understand that. I mean, I think when I've had cupping, it's been if I've had a, a lot of muscle pain or I've had it when I had a very nasty flu and there was a lot of congestion in the lungs, then it really was used to kind of release that, just move just move that phlegm out. And, and as for Qigong, I mean, I agree, it's an amazing practice. I practice, I learned in 
when I lived in Australia, I mean, there's a lot of Chinese people there, obviously. And I learned to do Qigong with a Chinese master. It was wonderful. And I found it absolutely amazing. I was supposed to train to be a teacher, but didn't didn't quite work that way. But what I noticed when I went to China was how much slower they moved in the jigger. We kind of tend to rush things through. The deliberateness of the movement was amazing. There was real focus on on it. I think that if we can try in our over busy world to slow down through qigong, it's so beneficial. And I would say, as someone who practices yoga as well, that it's easier to get into qigong. Yes, I'm sure that there's lots of technical aspects of it that's that are quite tricky. But I think what I do like about it is, is you know, you could if you have limited mobility or anything like that, this is something that you can really practice wherever you happen to be. You know, obviously there's the breath and, you know, so it's, but so I really liked that about the Qigong. It, it's, it's something that anybody can, can do really. Yeah. And complements any of the treatments that you're also working with. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, you know, acupuncture or Chinese medicine is really about giving you the tools. Like that's the sign of success for us is you not coming back anymore. And if Qigong is, you know, it's it's a bit it's a bit trial and error sometimes as well. And I always say to people, look, don't try and do it all. Like I can give you guidance till the cows come home. Like there's things that can be done, but try and pick one or two things, whether it's Qigong or changing what you eat for breakfast or, you know, just take one or two things that you feel like you can wholeheartedly do and and then build on it, right? And you know, Qigong is one of those practices that that's why I've started a class because, you know, the YouTube tutorials are great, but I really wanted to be able to have somebody teach me, guide me. And if you can't make time for that, because often people can't, then, you know, either choose the YouTube or, or choose other things that can be helpful for you. And I think the one thing I would say from having practiced as much Qigong as I have is that when you do the movements and slowly enough, breathe very differently and breath is so important especially well for everybody but in perimenopause we're often very anxious we need to breathe well for our pelvic floors and a whole host of other things that we don't think about and I found qigong was much much easier than breathing in yoga where the the breathing is more deliberate but in qigong it's almost like when you make the movement and breathe your breath and movement sync together in the way that they're meant to I think that is love that I think that is such a beautiful description of how I because I find the breath in yoga too much I mean and actually you know it's it's common sense in a way like you know our diaphragm is attached to our lower back it's you know and if our breath is stuck in our chest it's not helping our anxiety it's not helping our feeling of everything being up here right because with perimenopause everything does feel like it's a bit up here it's when i'm doing that i'm like pointing to the top of my head because everything's up and and we actually want everything to be down we want to be grounded we want to to feel the earth on our feet and i think that's the other good thing if you can do stand in qigong is really about how grounded you are how you stand, your stance. So, yeah, I think if you can practice it, it is wonderful. 
Yeah, and you can practice it till you're really very old because, believe me, I've seen some really old grannies in China and they're well in their 80s and 90s and they're still able to do that. And what I noticed when Simon in Australia taught, and he taught a lot of older people, was older people could barely lift their arms above their head when they started. You know, they had difficulty with movements we don't think about in maybe our 30s and 40s. But through practicing Qigong weekly, these people had a lot more mobility. And that is amazing. Free flow, it's movement. It's, you know, it doesn't have to be running a marathon. It it has to be about movement, whatever that movement is for you. So, yeah, amazing. Good. Yeah. How does somebody begin the journey of, of tapping into Chinese medicine, working with an acupuncturist and, and really getting into it and seeing that as a way to support their perimenopause? I think for me, I mean, you know, as I practice acupuncture in, in the UK, I mean, maybe less so in, in countries like Australia where it is so, it's not commonplace, but it's definitely more of a medicine that is well known. I, you know, I tend to see people who have tried everything else and they've got to the the final thing that they're like, we'll literally just try anything and, and now we'll try acupuncture. You know, for me, definitely always there's in each of the countries, there'll be regulatory bodies that will be able to tell you the standard, standard of education if you're an acupuncturist. I know in Australia, it's five years. In the UK, I did a three-year degree. The problem in the UK is it's not a statutory regulated title. So that means that somebody could do a weekend course and could buy needles from Amazon and practice what they would term acupuncture. So, you know, I think in America, again, it's very well regulated. So I think my my first advice is, is, is make sure you know you're seeing a properly qualified acupuncturist in the UK. That's someone who's done a three-year degree. The same, you know, there'll be in Australia, in America, or, you know, anywhere in the EU, there'll be regulatory bodies and, and go to them first. You want somebody who has both the education and, and also their insurance, you know, all the things that make it a safe practice. And I think, you know, it's it's interesting because actually around where I live, there's there's quite a few practitioners. And I always just say to people, choose the person who you think you can have a good therapeutic relationship with, right? I might be the first person you come across, but I might not be the right acupuncturist for you, okay? Like I might have the same experience as the next person, but you may get on better with them. And and honestly, part of the treatment is is actually having somebody you can trust that you're going to wholeheartedly, you know, you trust their guidance. So ring around, like ring a few of them, talk to them, see how you get on with them. I mean, and I think there's a lot, a lot. I mean, like I said right at the very beginning, I'm an evidence-based acupuncturist. I, I enjoy learning about the evidence, you know, up until 2021 was the last review, there's been almost 15,000 clinical trials of acupuncture. In like chiropractic, there's maybe like 9,000. And it's not, again, it's not a versus, but that people tend to think that uh, Chinese medicine is like a placebo or, you know, it doesn't, or, you know, but there is more and more evidence to say that it is so much more than that. And, you know, hot flashes, depression, osteoporosis, Alzheimer's, 
or, you know, like a cognitive decline. All of those things have great evidence behind them now for acupuncture. And I'd happily share that. And I think, you know, get comfortable with the idea as well of knowing that it is something a little bit alternative. It isn't your mainstream, but there is so much evidence now for it being a medicine. It is. It's just because it's 4,000 years old, it's still as relevant today as it was then. So yeah, I think talk to your practitioner, have an open dialogue with, you know, express your questions, your concerns. If they're a good practitioner, they will be safe. They'll be insured. They'll answer your questions. They'll be honest with you. You know, as I said, I never offer anybody a hundred percent guarantee because medicine is fallible as well, but we are on a journey together. It's like a 50-50. You know, I bring all of my knowledge and expertise and needles and guidance. And then somebody has to take their 50% as well and, and take, you know, that guidance and do with it as I ask or your practitioner asks. And, you know, it's it's one of those things that we work together on. Yeah. And I think that is that's such a beautiful way to describe that. And I think also the fact that it is a partnership, it's quite a close partnership between practitioner and patient. I mean, I think you can have that with an allopathic practitioner, definitely. But often I think there's a time pressure there and they've got shorter times, whereas you spend quite a long, when you go to an acupuncturist, you're going to be there for half an hour to an hour with your practitioner and you build a relationship with them. Yeah. I mean, in my first appointment with any new patient, regardless of what they come in for, we spend an hour and a half together. You know, we we talk for 40 minutes and that covers not only what their current complaint is, but, you know, everything we talk about, you know, everything else. I think it's quite unheard of for people to be heard. And that's also part of the treatment. And I say to people, you know, okay, that's enough for what we need today because otherwise we won't get around to putting the needles in. But I'm listening to you. I'm hearing what you're saying. And, you know, and as you said, allopathic medicine also could have that relationship, but time pressures. I don't know what it's like where you are, but GPs have eight to ten minutes to see somebody here. Yeah, it's about the same. We've got dogs going off here all day. (laughs) I've got the dog snoring. (laughs) dog snoring. Mine's roughing. I think definitely there is the same, eight to 10 minutes. You might not see the same person. It's very pressurized. So great if you've got the flu, you need a jab. Maybe you've got something serious and something isn't healing or something like that. But it's just a different, and a com- as it said, acupuncture is a complementary practice alongside that. It, for many of us here in the West, I mean, it's different in China where it can be 100% of your treatment. Yes. And, you know, that that's their, their cultural, their, you know, and it's a complementary thing. Like biomedicine, allopathy, it's, it's amazing. And there's no reason to, to stick solely to one. You, there are alternatives and, yeah, things that people can do at the same time. Exactly. That's wonderful. Andrea, I love that you shared this. And if someone's in the UK and want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Yeah. So, well, I actually, so my web, so I'm actually the channel project, which when I started studying, I came up with this name because the channels are the head to toe from the body and a project was, it was a three-year project. It was, you know, it wasn't so much a project more as a a lifelong um, passion and labor. But so I'm on www.thechannelproject.co.uk. But, you know, what I really urge is if you're in the 
in the UK, please go to the British Acupuncture Council website. They have tons of information on there. And what they have is also a list of practitioners. So you can do a postcode search or a or a town search. Please go on there. These are all practitioners that have studied for three years plus. All are insured. All have all the correct safety knowledge, red flags, you know, because we also have to learn biomedicine. So, you know, red flags of things. So obviously, if someone comes in and they've been menopausal for over a year and they start bleeding, that's a red flag to your acupuncturist. It's, you know, you know. So yeah, definitely recommend going on to the British Acupuncture Council. I can also send to you the regulatory bodies for other countries if people are interested. And that way, you know, you're getting a practitioner that has done all the necessary qualifications for treatment. That's brilliant, Andrew. And we'll put that in the show notes. And if you have the links, it's fantastic because many of my audience are in the US and Australia too. And just knowing where to go, otherwise, you know, can end up in some (laughs) interesting spaces, which are not wrong. And it doesn't mean that, say, for example, a Chinese person operating in, in, in Australia that isn't trained in it isn't brilliant, but it's just what's best is to be safe and go to someone you know is qualified and insured in case something doesn't go right. Yeah, so absolutely. I totally agree with that. You know, there are many amazing practitioners that maybe for whatever reason have decided to not join those organizational bodies. But I think if you're a lay person that doesn't or isn't interested in even knowing the difference, it's better to go where you you know you're going to be safe and they've got people there to help you. So, yeah, it's I'll send all of those links over to you. That's brilliant. Thank you, Andrea, so much for coming on and sharing. I mean, obviously a big passion of yours, not only is your life. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And honestly, you know, if people have questions, then then please, and I can always send them the right direction, then I'm definitely here for that. That's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Thriving Through Menopause. If you like this podcast episode, please hop over to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com and rate and review it. And thank you if you do that, because it helps others to find the show. Want more news and views on perimenopause and menopause? Then sign up to my weekly newsletter, Heart of Menopause, over on Substack. Thank you once again for listening, and see you next week for another guest interview helping you to thrive through menopause.